Chapter 40 of Legends of Saints and Sinners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Schneider. Legends of Saints and Sinners by Douglas Hyde. Chapter 40. The Great Worm of the Shannon. Preface. This curious conception of the greatest river in Ireland, owing its origin to the struggles of a great worm, a serpent, is new to me. I got it from Pernesius O'Connor, who was in the workhouse in Ethelon at the time, and he got it himself from a man called George Curtin from near Erlo, on the borders of Mayo and Roscommon, who had also been in the workhouse. Unfortunately, after writing it down, I lost the first half of the story, which was the most interesting, and I have had to supply a brief summary of it in brackets, so far as my very imperfect recollection of it goes. I have quite forgotten the incidents which led up to the druid's prophecy and the worm's hearing about it. The Story Open Bracket the druid foretold that a man was coming to Ireland who would banish all the snakes, dragons and serpents. The great orphus, or worm, or serpent, was at this time in the pool near the Arinia Mountains, from which the Shannon partly takes its rise. It heard of this prophecy and was greatly concerned about its future. It determined to leave Ireland and make his way to the sea before the man came who should have the power to kill or banish serpents. The man the druid had prophesied about was St. Patrick. Close bracket. The story describes the desperate efforts of a great worm to make a waterway for itself by cutting away the hole in which it was enclosed. It was its efforts to escape which made the River Shannon. At every prominent part of the Shannon its adventures are related. As it went on its way, working a channel for itself by which to swim out to the sea, it used to commit the most terrible depredations on cattle and sheep, and destroy the country wherever it happened to be. The adventures of the worm at Jamestown, Athleague, Lanesborough and other places are described. Near Athleague, the people, led by a drunken piper called O'Rourke, made head against it, but it swallowed the piper at one gulp. The noise of the pipes was too much for it, and it threw him up again after time, but it lost several days' work at the river. After getting rid of the piper, who had so troubled its inside, it began to work hard to make up for the time it had lost, for it was greatly afraid of the good and powerful man who was to come. After a week or so, O'Rourke was blind drunk again, and he faced for the place where the great worm had been before but by this time it had worked its passage far away from that place. The piper, however, walked into the river and everyone thought that he was drowned, but one of the enchanted eels was left in the hole and the eel put a rook under enchantment too, and it was not long until they heard him playing music in the hole, but he never came up on land since. Only every morning and evening they used to be listening to him playing music in the hole, and from that day to this there is no other name on that same spot but the Piper's Hole. And everybody in Athlon knows the Piper's Hole as well today as the people who were alive a thousand years ago knew it. The Great Worm went on very well until it came to the place which is now Loch Ree. There was a great tribe of venomous serpents there, and they attacked it. Some went in front of it, others came behind it, others came on each side of it. They fought for seven nights and seven days. 
They made the hard ground soft and the soft ground hard. They sent stones and great rocks flying more than half a mile up in the air. Floods of blood were running as plentiful as the water itself, and indeed people thought that it was the end of the world that was in it. The battle went on for a month without any signs of victory on one side or the other, and the people of the villages roundabout were in great fear. But as the old saying puts it, every battle has an end. When the most of the serpents were dead, they asked the great worm for peace. He granted that, and both sides were rejoiced. The great worm was wounded and bruised and in much pain. After that great battle, the worm had to take a rest, and that gave great ease to the people of the villages, because it ate neither cow nor sheep nor pig for the space of three months, but it ate up all the serpents that it had killed in the fighting. It never left so much as a bit of bone behind it, and the people began to think that it would never claim its food off them any more. But so soon as it set to work again, they had to supply it with cows, sheep and pigs once more, because it thought that this was its lawful wages for cutting out the river for them. And everyone knows that the river did much good for the country on each side of it, and only for the great worm there would have been no river. The worm worked hard and went on well until it came to the place which is now Loch Derg. The venomous serpents were collected before it in that place, and they gave it a battle. If hundreds attacked it in Loch Ree, thousands attacked it in Loch Derg, and the first battle was only sport in comparison to this one. They attacked it before, behind and on every side, and some of them made holes on his belly so that they might be able to thrust it through in that place. And such a cutting and scalping and tearing and killing there had never been in the world before, and it's likely that there won't be again. They made the dry earth wet and the wet earth dry, and they sent stones and great rocks flying into the air quick as lightning, and God helped the man one of them would fall on. It was a warrant of death for him. They fought for a month without appearance of victory on either side, and during all that time the lake was red, dig with blood, and the old people say that this is the reason it was called Loch Dirg, or Derg. After a month of fighting, the worm gained the battle. It rose of one leap in the air and came down on top of the serpents, making a mash of them, and those that were not killed went off over the country. The worm was torn and wounded and in great pain after this hard battle, and it had to take a long rest. But it never went in pursuit of food from the people of the villages, because it ate its enough of the serpents every day until the last of them was eaten by it. As soon as its wounds were closed and it had rested, it began working again, and nothing wonderful happened to it until it came to the place where the city of Limerick is today. In that place there was a great troop of enchanted heroes near the spot where the treaty stone is now. The warriors threatened it and told it not to come any further, but it challenged them to battle. They attacked it with battle axes and great clubs. They were cutting it and beating it throughout the day until they thought it was dead. Then they went away. But as soon as the sun went down, it came to itself again, and it was as strong as it was at the commencement of the battle. It came up on land and went to the castle of the enchanted warriors. They were asleep, and it threw down the castle on top of them, and killed every mother's son of them. 
Then it returned to go in face of its work. It went on well after leaving Limerick, for there was nothing to hinder it. For that reason it made the river wider in that place than in any other. But as soon as it got out into the sea, a great whale met it, and it had to fight a hard battle, and was nearly beaten when a sea-maiden came and helped it, and they killed the whale. The sea-maiden and the great worm went on side by side until they came to a village on the coast, where there were about three score of men in boats fishing. The great worm was very hungry, and it began swallowing them down greedily, men and boats and all, until the sea-maiden spoke and said that it was a shame. That angered it, and it attacked her, but she was too clever for it. She drew out a golden comb with venom in it, and thrust it into the worm's eye and blinded it out and out. Then said the worm to her, I would sooner be dead than alive. Put a hole in my stomach with the scissors. She did that, and it died in a moment. The water was ebbing, and when it had gone out, the great worm was left dead on the sand. The people of the villages round about came. They opened the worm, and every mother's son that he had swallowed they found alive, and in a heavy sleep at the bottom of their boats. The bones of the great worm remained on the shore of Bontry Bay, until the fishermen made oars out of them. If my story is not true, there is no water in the sea, and no river Shannon in Ireland. End of chapter 40 Recording by Lizzie Schneider